the next Lord's Day, we will be observing the ordinance, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, and according to the admonition of the Apostle Paul, we are to examine ourselves, whether we be in the faith. That is not a call to living in a perpetual state of uncertainty and doubt. That's not the point. That can happen as a sickness of the soul, sometimes because of disobedience, and then the Lord hides his face from us. But that's not the goal. No, those who cast themselves at the feet of Jesus Christ are to do so in confidence in him and to seek assurance of faith. But it's not automatic. And presumption is a very powerful reality, uh, a disease that spares none and spreads even through congregations that are faithful to the doctrine of the cross of Christ and his resurrection. Well, to that end, as we begin a week of of preparation, and as uh, we are encouraged to dedicate at least some meaningful time one-on-one with the Lord, not just reading the Bible and praying as, as we do in our customary way, but over and above that, to stop and to seriously reflect upon one's heart and life, am I a genuine Christian? Or do I have the form of godliness the appearance of being a Christian, and yet I don't have the power. Dear friends, so very many have been where you are and are yet in hell. And so let us take this seriously. To that end, let us consider Proverbs sixteen nineteen. Better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Those who come around the table are a fellowship, they are a society. They are bound to each other with unique and special ties that differentiates them from other societies. Well, when we see this table, this table to which we will be coming and where we will be seated and we will take the cup and we will pass it from hand to hand and the bread partaking of this as well sharing one broken loaf, 
we will be expressing, among other things, that fellowship that we have with each other and above all with him who was meek and lowly in spirit. But this table is only for such as belong to that fellowship. Not just those who have professed the faith, said the right words as they speak before the elders of their own faith and we admit them because we don't know the hearts but we take things at face value. But now we need to ask ourselves, am I of this fellowship? Do I belong truly to this spiritual society, this fellowship of the lowly? Or am I on the other side of the equation, dividing the spoil with the proud? Well, we will consider with God's help the sweetness of this fellowship, and as we do so, we'll, we'll explore and we'll work through what it is that constitutes the essence of those who belong to that fellowship. But because the way this proverb is shaped, it's one of those proverbs that engages in comparison. Better this than that. Better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. We will explore this Christian virtue, this mark of grace of humility and lowliness by the sweetness of this fellowship. First, this fellowship is the sweetest because all of them have such pleasant companions. Second, they all have such inner peace. And third, and most importantly, because they have God, the soul's exceeding great reward. Solomon, under the inspiration of the Spirit, presses upon the mind and the conscience of the reader that which is preferable. Because in this world, there's so many misleading, false appearances, and people, when they come to a crossroads, they end up taking the wrong turn. And they think, well, I'm going in the right direction, but at that crossroads, they made a tragic mistake. And so they may look at their compass and reassure themselves, well, I'm generally going the right direction, but you took a wrong turn. And if you drive through New England, you know that when you do that, roads not being parallel very often, you can veer quite far from where you wanted to go. Better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. You're at a crossroads now. Perhaps some of you made the mistake because the crossroads was some time back and you're going the wrong way. Well, at that point you need to 
realize your mistake and not be so proud and backtrack and go to that place where you made the tragic decision and get on the right path. Better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to do what so many find so very attractive and easy and pleasant, which is to divide the spoil, to celebrate with the proud. This this image, this contrast here, those on the one side who have nothing but their emptiness, they have nothing but the camaraderie and the fellowship of their sensing themselves weak and dependent and needy. While on the other hand, we have the image of those who are of a very different spirit, but the advantages, oh, the advantages are very striking. Look at them over there. They have such abundance Sure, they cut corners. But look at what they have to show for it. Yet with the plunder, with the outward blessings, they are of a very, very different spirit. And what Solomon is essentially saying is better to forfeit all of that and belong to the society of the needy, of the empty, of the dependent, rather than exchange the spirit and have a proud, swollen, conceited, independent spirit that defies God and has no sincere interest for one's fellow man, except as a stepping stone to achieve his or her own agenda. Well, the fellowship of the lowly is sweetest because they have such pleasant companions. Now, over here, they're friends. Oh, they're the best of friends. What chums. What, what, what good fellows they are. What laughter as they carve it all up. Twenty for you. Twenty for me. Sixty for you. Sixty for me. Here, pass the wine. Give me another cup. Isn't this great? They they have friendship. And you know, the world loves its own. And yet, that friendship is so very thin and fragile. They're fair-weather friends. What? You ran out of money? Oh, there's another party down the road. It's because they're selfish. They're not genuinely interested in their friends. They're high-minded. 
They think much of themselves, but very little of others. And that includes their fellow proud ones. And so there is often uh, such a superficial uh, connection. When you put vanity next to vanity, someone needs to get first place. And so it's either you or me. You see, eventually you step on my toes because you're not seeking my interests. I'm the most important. The disciples are are arguing as Christ is drawing near to the cross. What are they arguing about? Jesus, Jesus overhears them bickering back there and he comes and he asks what were you what were you talking about well then they're kind of sheepish well we were debating about who was the greatest among us and who gets to have the limelight at Jesus right hand and Jesus left hand because we're going into the kingdom aren't we I wonder how big my crown's going to be. Well, it's definitely going to be not as big as mine. How many demons have you cast out? How many converts did you get? Better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. But the sweetness of this fellowship Not in the first case, although that happens to be our first point. Is that they have such pleasant companions. You see, those who have been changed by grace, those who have been born again, they've been emptied of themselves. The drain at the bottom has been opened up And all of self has gone down and gone through that little spigot at the bottom. Went into the ground and we see it no more. David. Who am I? That I, should, that I should be the son of the king. Who am I? He didn't, he didn't force his way, did he? You know, Saul was be, becoming just erratic and unpredictable and taking up his javelin and throwing it at, at the young man who is soothing his troubled mind. But what did David do? I mean, was he paying those ladies to sing? Saul has slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands. Of course not. He didn't ask for any of that. And when he began to learn about Jonathan and to become acquainted with him, he saw a mirror of his soul. 
Jonathan sees in David that lowliness of spirit which is true nobility. And there was a type, was there not, of David, of that one who came into Jerusalem as the rightful king, and yet he came on that humble colt, the foal of a donkey. Behold your king, Jerusalem. Behold him, see him. There was a sweetness in that society, that fellowship between David and Jonathan. Very, very different from the spirit of Saul and his companions, his society. Jonathan, he, he, is, he is next in line to the throne. And Saul's trying to get that through his thick head. Boy, you're going to be the king, but you're going to lose it if you don't seize it. But Jonathan's words could very easily have been those words of David, My heart not haughty is, O Lord, mine eyes not lofty be. Nor do I deal in matters great, nor things too high for me. I surely have myself behaved with quiet spirit and mild. As child, weaned of the mother. You see, that is the spirit of Jonathan, and that is the spirit of David. There is a sweetness when you have these two souls who have been touched by grace, not by the law, dear friends. The law cannot create this. Now, don't think I'm trash-talking the law. The law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just and good. But the problem is with the human heart. You cannot beat humility into a proud sinner. It just doesn't work. You cannot take... uh, the mortar and the pestle and grind the folly out of that sinner. No, it's just not possible. It's a fundamental issue of one's nature. That's why those who come to this table are those who do not have themselves to thank. God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. But you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Oh, the sweetness of John the Baptist. Though he was a master, I do believe his disciples gravitated to him, not simply because he was such an electric preacher, But how endearing it had to have been for those disciples to hear their master say, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. Young people, don't forget He's talking about his cousin. 
In terms of popularity, John the Baptist had all of Judea eating out of the palm of his hand. And then one day he says, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I'm nothing. I'm nothing. He's everything. That's the only way to become humble, my friend, is to have a saving gaze upon Christ. He must increase, but I must decrease. And so when John shipped off his disciples to Jesus, he was simply transferring these humble ones from one chapter of the humble to another with a much better master and much more humble than John. As you examine yourself, Christian, are you drawn to those who have been made humble? Are you drawn to the humility that the Lord has wrought in them? Is it sweet to you? Do you look at it and desire to emulate it? That's what what happens among friends, is that I admire this aspect of this sister, and so I'm going to imitate her. That's what Abrakel says. Seek the company of the meek and carefully observe their conduct. Observe in them how desirable meekness, or we may say humility, is. Who are you drawn to? Is it the power broker? Is it the charismatic? Is it the successful, the one who can stand up on the stage when he does his TED talk and say, look at me. If I did this, you can do it too. Who are you drawn to? Second, this fellowship is the sweetest, and so through this we see the excellence and the beauty of this mark of grace, of humility. Better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly, in communion with them. We are many grains crushed and formed into one loaf. Better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Second, their fellowship is the sweetest because they have such inner peace. So outside, in this fellowship, there's a sweet camaraderie. 
and a mutual helpfulness. No one's jockeying for first place. No one's stepping over each other. And when it happens, because it does happen, brother, I sinned. I should not have said that. I was being selfish. I was proud. So when you examine yourself, note, we're not talking about those who are of an absolutely humble spirit, as though they had no sin. But it's the general tenor of the life and of the heart. They have such inner peace. Their conscience has been calmed and quieted. Because they've learned a secret. That though their sins were as scarlet, yet through Christ they are white as snow. Those who divide the spoil with the proud, many of them will have a gnawing conscience. After they have had their binge, and they wake up with the hangover in the morning, all their friends are gone, all the laughter has come to an end. Deep down, there is that worm, that worm that gnaws. God hates your pride. There are six things, no seven, that are an abomination to the Lord. And among these, taking the crown is that proud and lofty look. God hates it. He despises it, and the conscience knows it. Now, he stifles that voice of the conscience, and he's constantly at conflict with himself. Now, friend, if your conscience accuses you that the reigning principle of your life is not humility by grace, but pride by the law, then do not deceive yourself as though you were of this sweet fellowship of the humble. But that blood that speaks better things than that of Abel, that blood not of bulls and of goats, but the precious blood of Christ, that is able to cleanse the guilt of a troubled conscience to calm it and to quiet it. And how can one who has been forgiven possibly nurse pride? What shall I render to the Lord for all the things that he has done for me? How? How shall I lift myself up? How shall I go, having just been forgiven this massive amount of debt, how shall I go in pride to one who owes me a pittance and say, pay what you owe? How can I do that? 
That's the secret to humility, friends. The secret to humility is a pacified conscience by faith in a crucified Savior. And as a fruit of that, they go about in a life of gratitude to keep their conscience void of offense toward God and towards men, and they fight, and they fight against that remaining pride. They cut off the right hand. They pluck out the right eye. They will not tolerate it. And it will be a battle, and sometimes it will be very, very, very discouraging. But this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. This fellowship is the sweetest because they have such inner peace, such a conscience that is calmed and quieted, and their life is easier, free from needless trouble. That's not to say these humble ones have no trouble. Oh, indeed they do. But they don't have the kind of needless trouble that the proud have. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, they have their spoil. They have their abundance, and they divide, and they celebrate, and they throw the party. But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. Oh, what trouble sinners create for themselves. Their own proud lusts are taskmasters, and they don't even realize it. Thomas Boston says, oh, but they have a hard task. Those have a hard task that have living, raging lusts to feed. Poor soul. And just stop and think about it. Think about those that you know in your life who are slaves to pride. What troubles they bring upon themselves. Jesus, Jesus gives peace through his death and sacramentally at this table as we come in humility, not in pride, but in humility to receive, not to give, not to supplement or add. We come to him who has said, My yoke is easy. My burden is light. If you're not yet a part of this society, would you not join now? 
And all you have to do is realize what a trouble you are to yourself and even more, what a trouble you are to God. And that Christ drank trouble for you. And then all that pride just drains right out. But third and most importantly, this fellowship, this sweet, sweet fellowship, better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Their fellowship is the sweetest not so much because they have such pleasant companions, nor even that they have such inner peace and relatively, uh, relatively pleasing outer peace in their life. Most importantly, it's because they have God. You know, many Proverbs are kind of like the book of Esther. You don't see the word God, but it's pretty clear that he's there. Better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Why is this? It is because those who are truly humble are humble with reference to the one who made them, and to the one who is the end of their being, man's chief end, to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. They have the soul's exceeding great reward. That was the essence of the covenant. He said it to Abraham. Yes, I'm going to bless you. Yes, I'm going to give you land. I'm going to bless your seed as the stars of heaven. But the heart of it all is me, Abraham. I will be your God. You shall be my people. I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. Because when God enters the soul, there's no room for anything else. They have God. They don't need the spoil. If God gives them blessings, we'll praise his name. We'll take that. Paul knew how to suffer want as well as how to be exalted. Joseph knew how to scrub the dungeon floor as well as to sit on the throne next to Pharaoh. So don't get too tripped up about outward conditions. But more often than not, the lot of the people of God in this world is usually rather humble. And don't we see Christianity spreading like wildfire in the places of this world where people are poorest. They're just emptier for God. 
That's why we have to be so very careful here in the West not to let things come into our soul to push out God. How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. But those who are of this humble spirit and who gladly stoop, and that's what you have to do if you're going to come to the table. you got to stoop. You can't walk high. Oh, my righteousness. Oh, my good deeds. Stoop. I don't care who I sit next to. At this table, there's no distinctions. We're all beggars with Christ. I have found the one thing needful. I have found the pearl of great price. I have found that treasure In the field, I sell everything to have it. I am rich beyond my wildest dreams because I have God. And that spirit is so pleasing and so sweet to God. For all those things mine hands have made, all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him who is poor and of a contrite heart and trembleth at my word. God looks down from heaven upon Daniel, who was amazingly gifted and blessed, and yet he was so humble and lowly. He even confessed sins that you and I might be inclined to say, come on, Daniel. I mean, there were a lot of bad people in Israel, but you, don't be so hard on yourself. Oh, Lord, we have sinned. We have transgressed. We have broken your covenant. He's fasting For days on end, he's on his knees. Royal Daniel, who ate and drank with kings. And he's on his knees with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. When's the last time you wore sackcloth? I fasted before. I've never worn sackcloth. But God looks down upon Daniel, my beloved Daniel. Those who are lifted up with pride are a stench in the nostrils of God. And God has a sensitive sense of smell. You know, you can come to this table... You've passed the elders. You've passed the people of God. No one knows the difference. But God can smell your stinking pride.
better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Oh, it is sweet because they have God. God looks upon them. He is delighted to be among them. These are my jewels, God says through Malachi. It's because of grace. It's not what they have. This is so sweet. This society, this fellowship is so sweet because this grace abases these souls before God, exalting Him alone. The Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. And when we come to this table, we're not saying anything about ourselves, but everything about Jesus. He must increase, but I must decrease. This is sweet. This grace is sweet because this humility confesses God's verdict against oneself. Against thee, thee only have I sinned. And I abhor myself in dust and ashes. I just, I, I despise the sin that put Christ on the cross. And even after I've been washed and justified and I can never be taken away from the state of acceptance before God, still the remaining sin in my life is stinking. And I come, I come to you, Jesus, again. And you've had to humble me even this week, perhaps. You had to grab me by the scruff of the neck and remind me you're nothing without me. Without me, by the way, you can do nothing. You know how you just, you look down on that person over there because they did that? I just saw you do it. By your words you shall be justified and by your words you shall be condemned. You got to stoop to come. If you're not going to stoop, don't come. Above all, the sweetness of this grace, this mark of grace in the believer who belongs to that society of the lowly. It is sweet and precious to God because it feels most unworthy of God's kindnesses and overawed by His grace. Who am I, Lord? And what is my house that you have brought me hitherto? Father Jacob, I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. 
the centurion, unlike so many Jews in Israel, the centurion says, Lord, you stay here. I am not worthy that you should come under my roof. Why should he, the king of ages, enter this dirty, God-forsaken planet and die a wretched, miserable, cursed death on the cross? We are not worthy. But he is. He is worthy of our empty-handed faith. And he is worthy that we should honor him and take at his hand what he graciously gives to him. And he is worthy that after he has washed our feet, after he, our Lord and Master, humbled himself to wash our feet, that we should go through this world stooping. Better it is to be of an humble spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, Lord God of hosts, we worship and bless thy name. Help us this week. Help us as we would prepare our hearts, as we would examine ourselves of our knowledge to discern the Lord's body, of our faith to feed upon Him, and of our repentance, love, and new obedience. May we not come unworthily and so eat and drink judgment to ourselves, but grant that we might uh, discover that which answers to the call of the gospel and that we would come and commune and be strengthened. And please, Lord, teach us how to be humble. Hear us now through thy Son. We ask thee, O God. Amen. We'll close.